Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Uh, If you have your Bibles in front of you, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, we are beginning a brand new series this Sunday on discipleship. Can you feel it? I could feel it from the very beginning. We're beginning a new series on discipleship. And, you know, I didn't mean for this series to correspond with Lent, but it does correspond with Lent. And I find it incredibly appropriate. That's just how the Spirit moves sometimes. Um, So Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to begin that series. And once you have flipped there, let's stand again. Sorry, I made you sit down. Stand up, sit down. Uh, Stand again for the reading of the Scripture. We stand uh, to read the Scripture because the Scripture holds a place of honor amongst us. This is God's word. And if we want to know what his intentions are, what his will is, we, go, we, we have it written out for us. If we want to know what freedom looks like and what love really is, we actually have definitions in front of us. And so we stand as a way of honoring his word as divinely inspired. Okay, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It's a little chunk. So here we go. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, clothe, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and grab a seat. 
I want to use single words and short phrases to capture the past 16 years of seasons of discipleship in my life. So I put together a little bit of a list and see if you can find yourself in there at all. So uh, first phrase is this. I was broken by my choices at 16. Lack of wisdom. Found by Jesus at 17. Passion. Fire. Intimacy. Pain. Fear creeping in. Doubt. Resurgence. Revival. Stubborn faithfulness, self-righteousness, sin, confusion, rediscovery, pain. I weathered the storm, sturdy, dismayed by his presence. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe that roller coaster of seasons sounds familiar. (laughs) And I have a question, like, what is the life of a disciple supposed to look like? What is the life of a disciple supposed to look like? Is what I described in the past 16 years of walking with Jesus, is that normal? And so I have a very simple question that we are going to attempt to answer this morning. What does the path of the disciple look like? Or what is the way of the disciple? Is it supposed to be full of rare moments of passion? Maybe once every 10 years? Or is it sustained fire? Is it supposed to be full of undulation, feeling warm towards God and cold in other seasons? Pain and doubt? Do they have a place? Disappointment? Wisdom and choice? And I want to simply look at the scripture this morning before us as a way of answering this question. What does the path of the disciple look like? So look back down at your Bible, and what we're going to do is we're going to just work our way through this passage. Uh, verse 1 says this again. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What is discipleship? I think we get a little bit of a key of what discipleship is in this. What is discipleship? Well, here's my definition. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, write it down, snap a photo, whatever you need to do. Here's my definition of discipleship. Discipleship is the relational invitation to make your identity visible. What is discipleship? It's the relational invitation to make your identity visible. And the whole identity piece is all here in this passage. Like, look down again, verse 3. It says, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're like, when did I die? When you believed. When you were baptized. That's why baptism, you go under the water, and you come up out of the water. It's the same thing that Christ did, into the ground, out of the ground, in resurrection, You are enacting physically a spiritual reality that your old life is dead. Your old person is dead, and now you are a resurrected person. Because look back back at verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, past, present, or future. Past. It's not hard. (laughs) Past, present, or future. Past. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. So here's the question. Are you waiting for resurrection In a sense, yes, there is the one day Christ is coming back. But have you been resurrected? Yes. When did that happen? When did it happen? It happened when you recognized your need of God. Because let me just say this. Let me say this. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is enough to save every person on earth. But does it? 
It doesn't. It only does for those who want it to. For only those who go, I need that. I've exhausted all of my options in life. I have tried to find purpose and meaning and fulfillment in all of these places, and I still haven't found it. And so maybe the eyes of Christ looking down from the cross penetrate your soul, and you go, I need him. I need him. I have to die. I can't keep living this way. I have to die so that I can live, so that I can live. So then you get this incredibly uh, powerful identity. What Paul is saying is that anyone who puts their trust in Jesus and recognizes their need, his death becomes your death, and then his resurrection becomes your resurrection. And so you have this identity shift in your life. You're no longer just an average person. You're no longer the person that you once were. You are someone who is seated with Christ in heavenly places. Do you wake up in the morning and think, oh, it feels good to be seated in heavenly places. Wow. (laughs) Oh, those days when I wasn't seated in heavenly places, those were tough. Well, you should. (laughs) So if you're seated in heavenly places, if you are in Christ, if you're, I love the language, you're hidden in him. Like, Satan would have to try to dig around through Christ to try to get to you. You've been hidden in him. You're you're, you're seated in heavenly places, so it would only make sense that your thinking and your behavior here on earth match that reality. See, discipleship says this. Your identity has to look like something. Your identity, if you have an identity seated with Christ in heavenly places, you died. You got resurrected. If you have that identity, it has to show up in your life. Like imagine a 14-year-old boy. Picture a 14-year-old boy in your mind who's really into skateboarding, who also really loves punk music. How many of you guys know that that's going to look like something? That's going to change the way that that kid dresses, the music he listens to, the tattoos that he wants someday or sneaks out to get or whatever, that identity is going to look like something that's going to be visible. And so discipleship is the journey of applying your identity practically so that it actually shows up in your life. People look at you and they go, they must be resurrected. I don't have any other language for that. Nobody has peace like that. Where did they get that? It's like, oh, it's my identity. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. So what I focus on in my mind has actually changed than what I used to focus on. And while the world is being deceived by the the enemy and and focused on all kinds of lies, I'm being nurtured by the truth. And so, yeah, I'm a resurrected person, and it shows up in my life. That's discipleship. And this requires, like, like, I don't know if this is a spoiler alert for anybody in the room, maybe for new believers, but it requires effort. And this requires intentionality. And this requires thoughtfulness because let me tell you this. There is a cost of non-discipleship. And the cost of non-discipleship is this. You jump into, you, you, you just kind of live your life. I'm just going to live my life every now and then, pop into church, and watch as you syncretize the values of our culture with vague Christian ideals and morals. And you find yourself in 10 years empty, bankrupt, not believing any of it. Because culture is a river. There's no just, I'm just in the culture and I'm just kind of hanging out, just living my life. No, you're going somewhere and you're going where culture is taking you. You're going where it's nurturing your mind and your beliefs and that's changing the way that you feel and then that's beginning to change the way, what, what you do with your life. But you come into Christ and you begin to nurture yourself on him and that's also going to change you. And that is another kind of river. And, let me, and I would even say this, it's a stronger river. It requires effort and intentionality to be a disciple because you lived your whole life or you lived years of your life with another identity. 
Maybe, maybe your identity was you're the unloved black sheep of the family. Or maybe you just feel constantly misunderstood. Or maybe your, your, your whole life you played the game of the world with its, uh, with its metrics of success. And so you've developed a scarcity mindset and you're constantly competing with people that you should be loving for blessing. And you've been developing worth in your life through your accomplishments and through your accolades. And what the gospel says is that everyone who comes into Christ gets a new identity. They die and they get resurrected and they get seated with Christ. And so then the lies and the fears that once informed your old identity... I'm unloved, I'm misunderstood, I'm a black sheep, I gotta compete for a blessing. Whoever has the most toys when they die wins, all that stuff. All of that stuff, you be, it, discipleship is the process of dismantling it through your choices you make with God, not apart from him. That's discipleship. Choice, your choices begin to change. What you do with your money changes. The way that you treat your brother that you've had tension with all of your life changes. The way that you, 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 live, you conduct yourself at work changes because you are moving away from fear and you are moving toward trust. That is the path of discipleship. Your choices in life, choices, your choices in life will always reveal your identity. Your choices, no matter what, you want people to think of you a certain way, if they see enough of your choices, your choices will always reveal your identity. So you got a new identity, right? Seated with Christ in heavenly places, hidden in Christ, resurrected. You died. You got this new identity, so you have new choices to make. And that's what Paul gets to next in verse 5. He says, I love this language. It's strong. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, I love this verse, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Here's the primary point that Paul is getting at. All discipleship begins and it ends with Christ. All discipleship begins and it ends with Christ. Make no mistake, and I think this mistake is honestly made all over the evangelical world today. Make no mistake, we are not aiming at becoming character qualities. That's not our aim. My aim is not, I just need to be more patient, and then I'll be good. Or I just need to be more loving, and then I'll be good. Or I just really am working on generosity right now. No, our standard is Christ. All discipleship begins with Christ, and it ends with Christ. Why why is that? Because we're in him. Our spiritual reality is that Christ is seated in heaven, and we're hidden in him. This is an incredible mystery, but it's incredibly, it has incredibly practical implications for our lives. Every disciple is designed to represent Christ to the people around them. That's your, the call on your life. What are you designed to do? You are to be a little Christ wherever you go. So people look at you and they go, that reminds me of Christ. Their life reminds me of Christ. And here's the purpose. It's so that the world can get a glimpse of the king and his kingdom through your life. You are advertising for heaven. Your life is advertising. It's marketing for heaven. That's what it is. You are to represent Christ 
by making your identity in him visible through the choices that you make with him so that humanity, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, they can witness that kind of life of what is possible when you die with Christ and when you live raised with him. Now, I should just end the sermon there because that's easy enough, right? (laughs) Maybe you're like me and you're like, I know all of that. And I want to be like Jesus. I want to surrender my idols. I want to kick lust to the curb. I want to celebrate when friends are blessed financially. And I don't want to live in envy or greed. But it's just hard. It's just really hard. I know the truth about who I am. Maybe even some of you, you're like, I declare it. I got sticky notes on my, you know, mirror in the bathroom. I know the truth. I know I'm seated. I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And so I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to, it's okay that they got the car that I wanted. It's okay they got the spouse that I think I deserve. It's okay. And you're like, it's okay. It's not okay. (laughs) It's not okay. If you feel this way, Don't despair. You are on the path of discipleship. That's what it feels like. (laughs) That's what it feels like. If you are in Christ, there is no path you walk that isn't the path with his hand. If you are in Christ, there's no like, I I drifted away from him and now I got to come back. It's like, no, you're still on the path of discipleship. You just need to listen to him. You just need to listen to him. Make no mistake, this is the path of discipleship. You're on it. Because all discipleship is moving out from fear and into love. All discipleship is moving out from fear and into love. Do you ask yourself the question, why do I do that very often? (laughs) Why do I feel that? Why do you do what you do? It's a powerful question to ask. Why do you get jealous of that person? You know that person. And you probably think, they don't deserve that. <laughs> and you might have, you have some reasons why you do deserve that. Why do you get jealous of them? Why do you, here's a question, why do you spend your money the way that you spend your money on the things that you spend your money on? Like, I think Dave Ramsey, he always says, he's like, you're spending money you don't have to impress people you don't like. You know, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, I've been there. Why do you lash out at your spouse at the times that you do? That's a question that I ask frequently. Look, you ask yourself why enough about the gap between your behavior and Christ's behavior, and you will find a fear. You'll find a fear. Your fear may be this, you know, I'm afraid that God doesn't love me. And that I'm one of the unlovable kids of his. And so, of course, I'm jealous of all of his other kids. Why did he do it at Asbury and not here? <laughs> Why did he give them that and, and not me? Uh, or maybe, you're, maybe the fear is this. I'm afraid that if I don't look out for myself, who will? I, I remember this is one of the most powerful lies I've ever believed in my life. I began working at a church in downtown Portland. I'd never been exposed to the kind of wealth that I grew up in the suburbs and never really been exposed to the kind of wealth, or at least that's shown. Maybe it's just the amount of debt that people live with in downtown Portland. And I, and I remember like go, driving by uh, like these amazing apartment buildings and everybody drives a Range Rover. And I was just like, I remember just having this thought going through my mind. And the thought was this, Alex, if you don't look out for yourself, who will? And I remember I believed it. 
and I'm still undoing that lie in my life. It's still something that I have to say no to it. You know, I, we, taught, we taught Georgie about uh, the Garden of Eden uh, this last week, and we started just saying, hey, you just say no to the snake. And so she walks around saying, no, snake. So, look, I, that is like, I'm like, that'll serve you for the rest of your life. No snake. So I'm saying that about that, like, no snake. Um, or maybe, maybe your fear is this. I'm afraid that if my spouse doesn't do fill in the blank, then I won't get the love or respect that I need to feel whole. And when you find that fear, when you ask, why do I feel this way or why do I do that? When you find the fear, you will always find a false belief attached to it. Always. There is a lie that you've believed. And because you've believed the lie, you got afraid. And because you were afraid, you behaved the way that you behaved. Might I remind you of one of my favorite quotes ever? All external conflict comes from internal conflict. And all internal conflict comes from a false view of yourself and God. All external conflict in your life actually comes from internal conflict. And all of that internal conflict that you have comes from a false, a lie, a false view of yourself and God. See, Paul, you know, when he pens this, you just think, what a high standard, Paul. But he knows two things. Here's what he knows. He knows that to become like Christ outside of the love of Christ is impossible. Don't try it. There's many Christians who they, they begin a love relationship with God, and then they go, I'll take it from here. I'm going to do discipleship without that source of love. And they find themselves broken by it. And they're constantly looking for the new trend or the new practice or the new discipline to try to make up for the lack of love that they're feeling, all the while not knowing that they're really trying to earn the very thing that God has freely given them. But Paul knows this. This is the second thing that he knows. He knows that to become like Christ with a never-ending stream of grace and love towards you, with an identity seated with Christ in heavenly places, with all the ability that Christ himself had through the Spirit, was absolutely possible. And therefore, is the standard for every disciple. And so then he writes this. Look down at your Bibles, verse 12. He writes this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, he had a choice and he chose you. As God's chosen people, holy, you're holy, and dearly loved. Once you get that, now look at what's possible. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's where the energy comes from. It's not just, hey, you should forgive people because it's the right thing to do. No, you yourself got forgiven. And if you have trouble forgiving that person, it's because you are not looking into just how much forgiveness you yourself have been shown. He does not demand things of you that he hasn't given you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Do you guys see it's all about love? It begins with love. As, as those who are dearly loved, here's what's possible. So clothe yourselves with love. Clothe yourselves doesn't mean like, I'm going to be really loving. Clothe yourselves means I'm going to make it a priority in my life to understand just how much you are loving me right now, God. Lack of love is never a mystery. Lack of love in your life when you aren't loving, when you aren't caring, when you aren't self-sacrificial, when you are not like Christ, it's never a mystery. The only conclusion that you can possibly have is that I must not know how much you love me. Because if I did, it would just be flowing out of me freely. Paul is saying you're loved. Let the imprint of the simple love of the cross be made upon your soul. 
Think of God's sacrifice for you often. Keep it before you. That God loved you this much that he would go, he would die for you. And that he would, he, would, he would leave all of the glories of heaven in order to experience what it feels like to go through the undulation of being human, the pain, the fear, the doubt. And when you receive that, when you, get, when you really get that love, then you can become it. You know, it's one of the most simple kingdom principles. If I'm not walking in love, I cannot become love. If I'm not walking in his love, then I cannot become love. See, if I can't forgive, it's because I don't believe he's forgiven me. If I can't be patient, it's because I think that I'm a bother to him. It's a false view of him that creates a false view of myself that creates an internal conflict and then external conflict in my life. If I, if I can't help being greedy, then I don't think he has my best interest in mind. And discipleship is the process of untangling your behavior from your fears and your fears from the lies. And as you do that, you will begin to replace the lies with truth, and you will begin to spread kingdom activity to the degree that you believe correctly. Do you see it? Like, this is ancient, guys. Everybody has the decision of Adam and Eve before them. It's the same choice. Will you believe God and spread Eden? Will you trust him, spread Eden, get the correct view of him, or will you believe the snake? Will you believe lies and spread fear? And the vision of God from the very beginning is that humans would enter such a trust-filled relationship with him that they would become unafraid sons and daughters able to rule in love alongside Christ for the renewal of the world. This is the vision, by the way, for, for us. <laughs> this is what I want to see through this series. We would become unafraid sons and daughters able to rule in love alongside Christ for the renewal of his world. That is how you make your identity visible. Now, I want to end. Trust me, I'm landing the plane. I want to end. Three thoughts for unafraid sons and daughters. Three thoughts for unafraid sons and daughters. The first is shoulds and confession. Shoulds and confession. You know, I've found for many Christians that there is a temptation to make discipleship the thing that you do for God or the thing you do because you should. Why are you not being a disciple? Perhaps you read a passage like this and it just stands in judgment of how far from Christ's example you really are. You read it and you're like, I'm none of that. Maybe you're sitting next to your spouse and you're thinking, and they know that I'm none of that. So who am I to even sit here? Who am I to even entertain these thoughts? And so much of your discipleship, if you really gear yourself up and you try to get after it, much of your discipleship comes from this place of, well, I should be more loving or I shouldn't be greedy, or I should be more generous. And I simply want to say that you cannot become more loving by motivating yourself with fear. You will not become more loving by motivating yourself with fear. Should is fear. That's fear stuff. Stop it. It's fear. It's like, I should do that because, well, what if I don't? What will happen? What would he think of me? What would they think of me? It's all fear. It's fear. Don't you see, that's living at a distance from God. That's like, hey, I owe you for the cross, so I'm going to live a good life. No. It's, it's almost like you think God is grading your response to the cross rather than attached to you like a vine is to a branch. That's the metaphor. We don't have a metaphor of a PE teacher. We have a metaphor of a branch and a vine that's giving you the nutrients that you need in order to be a disciple. When you understand that, that's grace. <laughs> Changes everything. See, the temptation is to make discipleship a you thing, like the thing that you do. And it's strange, you know, for those of us, especially who are parents, because we know that's not how parenting works. My daughter doesn't owe me. 
She doesn't owe me. But I want to help her in relationship with me to discover her ability and her character. I want to help her discover it. That requires discipline. That requires me saying no a lot. That requires me spending time with her and not just giving her things like, here's a thing, and hopefully that appeases you, but like getting involved in her life. That's, and, and look, I'm a flawed parent. How much more does God love us? How much more does he parent us and father us? It, discipleship is all invitation. You need to say no to the shoulds. Some of you have the shoulds. It's a horrible disease. You need to say no to the shoulds. Discipleship isn't something you do for God because of the cross. Discipleship is something you do with God because of the cross, because of the ability. And I feel like, you know, as I was reading this passage, I was like, you know, it's almost like God is running an experiment. Just how much of your life can change if your identity changes first? It's almost like he's like, let's give these humans who are full of error the identity of righteous, and we'll just see what happens. That's the experiment of grace and discipleship. See, how how about this? And and instead of shoulds, how about this? What if we confessed what we're afraid of because of the lies that we believed instead? What if we confessed our fear rather than shamed it with shoulds? Here's how Jamie Winship says uh, this sort of confession works. And this is just a profound thought. Here's what he says. He says, we practice confession and repentance all the time. Every time I'm intimidated by a situation, I say, let me tell you how I feel right now. God already already knows how I feel and what I really believe. I'm not faking him out. I just say, Lord, I feel really intimidated. I feel fearful right now. I feel powerless with this person. That's how I feel. That's confession. Notice I'm not saying, Lord, I'm so sorry for feeling afraid. I'm so sorry for feeling anxious. Please take it away. See, when you pray like that, when, you, when you're constantly apologizing for the way that you feel, you're not confessing anything. You're not dialoguing with God at all. You are assuming already you know what God thinks about what you're afraid of. You're essentially answering your prayer for him, assuming that you know what he would say anyway. And so you never get real God conversation. You just get a dialogue with this internal algorithm that you've built from what you think about God. Real confession is this. I'm scared because I believe this about you. How should I see you? How do you see this situation that I'm going through right now? That's real confession. That's where transformation takes place. That's where real discipleship happens. And what you will discover on the journey of being a disciple, is that if you try to change what you feel, or you, even worse, try to change what you do, you will find yourself frustrated, and you will find yourself working out of fear every single time. But when you see that all of the things that you feel, all the fear, all the jealousy, all the anger, all the rage, when you see all of what you feel is attached to a belief, you can change what you believe. You just need to be offered something else to believe. And that's what God does. That's why reading the scripture matters. That's why spending time in prayer and asking people to prophesy over you matters. So that you can take those lies. You can take the the, the behavior, maybe you're, you know, whatever you're, you're lying or you're cheating on your spouse or you're doing whatever it is. You can take that behavior and you can go, why do I do this? I do this because I feel this way. Why do I feel this way? Because I believe this thing. Oh God, help me believe something different. What's the truth? Discipleship.
Discipleship just happened. This is good news, guys. Do you get this? This is not behavior modification. This is not you trying. I just am going to try to not be so unloving. I'm going to try to be more generous, and we need to build it into the budget. Okay, whatever. Yeah, all of that matters. I'm going to have a point on discipline. We're going to get to it. But what I'm saying is this. It has to begin with your belief. Your uh, actions are a summary of your belief system. They're a summary of your belief system. And when you begin to believe differently, you begin to choose differently, which leads to my next thought. Making decisions for devotion. Making decisions for devotion. You know, discipleship has the same root word as discipline. It's a little uncomfortable, but it does. It has the same root word as discipline. Discipline in the Christian life has a place, and it's to make decisions in your life for the sake of devotion. To look at your life and to say, you know, if, if my identity is this, if I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly places, if, I'm, if I've died and I've been resurrected, then I must practically make Jesus Lord over everything. I need to, it has to look like something. Like that 14-year-old skateboarder, it has to look like something. We're going to get more into this in the coming weeks. I have a whole three-part sermon series, a mini-series within this on how to change. We'll get to it. But I wanted to remind you all that Lent begins this week. This week begins, uh, Lent begins on Wednesday. And Lent is a time to redevote yourself to God. It's uh, seven weeks. It goes for seven weeks, seven Wednesdays leading up to Easter. And it exists to consider what distracts you from devotion and to cut those things or that thing off so that devotion and intimacy can flourish. So a super practical way to make your, your identity visible in the next seven weeks. Um, starting this Wednesday, uh, we are inviting you, it's all invitation, inviting you to fast with us breakfast and lunch. And in our app, this is why you need the app, in our app, there will be a verse for meditation and then a prayer that goes along with that verse. So our whole church, you know, you can imagine we're all in it together. We're going to be fasting and we're going to be praying and reading the same scripture together each Wednesday for the next seven Wednesdays leading up to Lent. We'll be announcing, there'll be like a little prompt on Instagram and make sure you got the app. It all happens in the app. It'll all be pointing towards the app. Um, but my hope is that as we approach Easter, we find ourselves hearing more, fearing less. You know, I, one of the things that for me is just a big, uh, it's a big deal, and I didn't even realize it until I cut it out, is just I listen to podcasts all the time, and I just, I'm like, well, I'm a pastor, so I need to be, you know, feeding myself, you know, good information and theology and all that stuff. It has been, I, I, I cut it out about a week ago. It has been amazing how much more I'm hearing his voice, and I have less voices within me that are competing with what he's saying to me specifically in this season. So I don't know what it is for you, but maybe consider it. What distracts from devotion? I'm a disciple. I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I'm going to remove that for the sake of devotion. Okay, last thought. The presence of God and the role of the body. Uh, look down to the, how this um, portion of Scripture ends in verse 15. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What this speaks to me is that the collective body, all of this church, has a role in discipleship. And what we do when we meet really matters. How we, how we worship together really, really matters. So let God's word have its place when you come here. I, I, one of the things that I noticed a number of years ago is that it doesn't say, you know, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the preaching of the scripture, although that's important, but through singing, 
It's like, why does this church sing so long? Don't they know it's been like 40 minutes? It's like, no, you're getting taught by the very presence of God. You're getting discipled by the Spirit of God moving amongst you. It's so powerful. You know, I read this and I think of the priority we have uh, to make the presence of God the main event, the reason why we gather. And, you know, I think that um, hunger for God, creating a space for God's presence to minister and disciple is the strongest form of discipleship that a church can offer. Creating space for people to encounter the felt presence of God is the greatest thing that a church can do to promote discipleship. Do you know how many times I've been in a worship setting and, and fear and lies and incorrect belief and unforgiveness has just been broken off because I, I saw God and said, woe is me, you are holy. You are so great and loving and inviting and you are so other. You're so other. Look, guys, all, in his presence, all of the right things grow, all of the wrong things die. And I really believe that the most powerful force in the world for discipleship is the hosted presence of God. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.